Lord, open us up to your word. Help us to receive it with hearts that desire to be more like Christ. Help us to see the, the ways in which we are rebelling, the ways in which we are turning from what you have for us. But also help us to see your love and your grace that call us back, that we may be more like Christ. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, um, this morning is different for me. So sermons, if you think about a traditional sermon, and if you've been in any Bible churches, Baptist churches, non-denominational churches, uh, you're probably used to a sermon that goes something like this. There is some kind of introduction. There are probably three points, maybe two, maybe four, but it sits somewhere in that three range. And then there's some bring it to a conclusion and get everybody excited and then we go home. And to be honest, that, that, you hear that sermon from me like probably 80% of the time. I mean, that's kind of just how it turns out. That's the setup, the, the structure. I don't even know if I have a structure this morning. I mean, to be honest, I have been struggling all week with this text. And even this morning, I was struggling through, and, and so I'm back here talking to the altar guild, and at this point, Stephanie knows at least, Stephanie's the head of our altar guild, Stephanie Bronson. At least once a month, I'll be back and I'll be going, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know what the sermon's gonna be like yet. And Stephanie has, and today, she reacts, she goes, whenever you say that, God works powerfully through you. So just get up there and go. And most of the time, that, that, what I mean by that is, I have the information, I just don't fully know how I'm gonna present it, this morning is different. This morning I have this much information and I don't know how I'm going to present it. <laughs> um, I'm gonna ask for your grace this morning. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't have any like story that's gonna make you cry. Um, I probably have a couple that'll make you laugh, maybe. I don't even know what I'm gonna use yet. Um, here's what I'm asking for this morning. Will you be open to whatever God wants to say to you. Because I don't know what that is right now. Um, here's what I know. We've been studying the prodigal son. This is our third week. It's our final sermon in this series on the prodigal son. On week one, we talked about the prodigal. And we talked about how he went away. And on week number two, we talked about how the prodigal wanted to come home to the father. And he made his own way. And the father ignored his way and came right out to him and said, I'm going to embrace you. And today is the older son. It's the part of the story that is left out most of the time. Because the prodigal son seems so easy to relate to. And it's such a beautiful story. I mean, he leaves and he goes off and he squanders everything, but he comes home and the father embraces him. And we can go, oh, that's awesome, that's wonderful, I needed that, I can come back to God, it's all there. 
And then there was this older brother over here, and this happened, and the story ends. And that's kind of what it seems like. And yet, if you go back to the beginning of Luke 15, this story is more about the older brother than anything else. Because he's talking to the Pharisees who were going, why are you eating and hanging out with sinners? And Jesus starts telling the story of the sheep and the coin and the son. The way in which God, talking to what the Pharisees are, kind of the the older brothers, and saying, this is what God is like. God goes after the sinners. But now we're at this point where we have the older brother. What do we do with the older brother? And here's what I want to suggest, and this will kind of keep us through the whole sermon. It's a spectrum. And we are all on this spectrum. Over here is the prodigal son. I turn away from God. I go my own direction. I do my own thing. I want what I want. And I may not always say it that way, but my actions convey that. My attitude conveys that at times. And over here is the older brother. How many of you are a firstborn? Raise your hand. All right. Firstborn. Here is the life of a firstborn, especially if you're actually a firstborn and then there's others that come along. Here's the life of a firstborn. You bring home a report card and you're thinking, I got all A's. I mean, this is gonna be great. And you show it to dad and he's looking over it and you're looking at his face going, something is wrong. And dad goes, why is there an A minus? And then while you're doing it, your sibling, younger sibling walks up and goes, here's my report, Dart. And dad goes, oh, you passed everything. Awesome. <laughs> and you're going, what? Like, what, what happened to this? The third brother brings his report card and dad goes, you just got it home. I'm happy. <laughs> I don't even care what's in it. You got it to me. And like, that, that's the older sibling. I mean, this is what, this is what my wife and I did so you're, the, the, the advantage to the older sibling is all the attention that you get, and that's also your disadvantage, all the attention that you get. Because when our daughter, who is our oldest, was young, and she's got her pacifier, when that thing would drop on the ground, my wife and I would like run to grab it. We're calling 911 to make sure she doesn't put it back in her mouth before we can clean it and sterilize it and reboil it to get it into her mouth. My second child, it falls on the ground, we pick it up and we're like, here you go. (laughs) My third child, we take the pacifier and we throw it so that he can go fetch it and it entertains him. (laughs) That firstborn just has a different life than everybody else. All the rules start lightening up and yet we're all going, "But, but we had to go through it? Like, why, why did they get to do that? I had to be like 21 before you let me drive. He's 14 and you're handing him the car keys. What is happening? Do you know what that does to our psyche? I mean, as firstborns, I mean, we are the type A's. We're the rule followers. I mean, everything needs to be in place. And we're looking at all of the prodigals. And we're going, oh, how dare you guys do this? That's part of us. We're the good kids. My dad had to spank me once. 
That was it. Like, I, I got my lesson. I'm like, I'm good from that point on. I don't know how many times my brother was spanked. I mean, like, you can't even count it. And he still just kept, no, I'm doing my own thing. They are the prodigals, most naturally, and we are the older siblings. But we're on this spectrum, all of us, to some degree. The center is this person that I do rebel some, but I'm also kind of good most of the time, and I have all the rules, and, and we kind of filter. And some people are a little bit more over this direction, and some people more over this direction. But we're on this spectrum somewhere of this prodigal rebellion or older brother rule follower. And this morning, it's about this rule follower. Who is he? What does he do? And how does the father respond to it? Open your Bible to Luke 15. One of the things I am going to do today that's a little different than anything I've ever done is I'm gonna read a number of things from Henry Nouwen and from Miroslav Volf. And they're gonna go back and forth because they say some things that I can't say as well as they can. So I'm just gonna use them to say it. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Firstborns will love this. Now the older son was in the field where we are supposed to be, <laughs> doing our work <laughs> like we're supposed to do. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Hmm. Looks like something I haven't been invited to again. Because I'm out doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And they're going to go celebrate. And he called one of the servants. And he asked what these things meant. And in all seriousness, I pondered why he did this. He hears it. Why not just walk up and check yourself? I don't think it's because he wants to like push his servants around. I think from my own experience that it's because he really does believe. He's suspicious. He thinks there's something going on in there that he was not invited to. And he's going to send somebody else to check it out. You go see. I want to see if this is right. I think this is what it is. Because if I walk in there and see it myself, I don't know if I can handle it. I'm going to send somebody else to check it out. So the servant comes back. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he was angry, and he refused to go in. It's interesting that the father has to go out to the prodigal son, but he also has to go out to the good son, to the older rule-following son who refuses to come in. One left and tried to do his own way, the other one won't come back. So his father came out and entreated him. Um, that word in Greek is in a tense that means it's a continual thing. He didn't just walk out and go, hey, come inside, and then head back. This is more of a pleading. And, there, and there's a continuation, a, a, a please, please come inside. Please come and join us. For what we're doing. He entreated him, but he answered his father, look, and just, even if you're not an older sibling, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you have felt like, I did everything right, but wasn't rewarded for it. I did what I was supposed to, and didn't get what I should have gotten, and somebody else did. 
Just hear his words and see if you can relate to them. Look, these many years I have served you, that word serve, ironically, is the word for slave in Greek. And you remember the prodigal? He came back and said, I just want to be a slave of my father. Here's the older sibling saying, I've been your slave, essentially. I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, boy, hear this language, but when this son of yours, okay, you remember the prodigal? The prodigal distanced himself from his father by redefining himself. He's not, I'm your son, I am not worthy to be called your son. He tried to change his identity. Here's the older brother who is now distancing himself from his family. Not my brother, but you're the son of yours. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? Are you kidding me? And you want me to come in there and celebrate? Can you feel his frustration? His anger, have you felt it? Have you ever been in that situation where you're going, like, can you not see how unfair this is? How unjust this is? Like what you're doing and what I've done and now, you haven't even, and by the way, young goat versus fattened calf, I'll give it to you in our language. You've never even taken my, me and my friends to Taco Bell and you brought them to Capitol Grill. I mean, that's the difference here. And you want me to come in and celebrate with him? Gotta be kidding me. I get the older brother. This is from um, a book called Exclusion and Embrace by Miroslav Volf. And, And he writes this. The older brother is not just insulted because he behaved better but was treated worst. Neither is he simply acting out of his fear over his inheritance that he may now be obligated to share. Instead, he is angry because some basic rules have been broken. Not oppressive rules that destroy life, but rules without which no civil life would be possible. The one who works deserves more recognition than the one who squanders. Celebrating the squanderer is squandering. Older siblings, you you relate to that? The one who obeys where obedience is due deserves more honor than the one who irresponsibly breaks commands. Honoring the irresponsible is irresponsible. I relate to that. Like, I can feel that. I, I, I want to say, yeah, Father, what are you doing? Because you'll notice when we get to the Father's response, he doesn't actually contradict the older brother. He doesn't like point out, no, no, you haven't been obedient as much as you think. I mean, you messed up here, you messed up here, you didn't come out in time here, you didn't do that right. Don't think you're so special. He doesn't do that. He allows that statement to stand. I have not been, I've always done what you said. Heck, I was out here working all day now while you guys were in here partying. I've been the obedient son. Life can't function if you're going to be rewarding people for being irresponsible. That's how he sees it. 
However, in the father's response, we see something in the heart of the older brother that lets us see that while yes, he's got a point. Uh, you can't deny his point. He's also missing something very, very significant. Here's what I want to say is happening. The prodigal son tried to build a bridge back to the father. He knew he had messed up. And so he put in place those four things that we talked about to build his way back to the father. Here's what the older brother is doing. He's building a bridge away from the father. He's building a bridge away from his family, from friends, from community. That what he's become actually pushes him away from relationship. And that's the part that the father wants him to see and he wants to help him with. Here are his steps. Look for me at the father's response and we're just gonna break this down and try to kind of keep linking it back. Here's the father's response. Verse 31. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, number one, and all that is mine is yours, number two. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was this, this your brother, a different language, not this son of yours, but this your brother. And because remember, the older brother is moving himself away from that relationship. The father is reminding him of it. This your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Here's the first step that older brothers make in building this bridge away from people. And it's what you see in this and in the father's response. Comparative thinking. As you look out into the world, as we look out into the world, we evaluate in comparison to me and it has to be equal. I look out and I see, okay, I did this and I got this. Therefore, when you do this, you should get that. And if it's different, there is some injustice, some inequality in here. I took this step and this was what happened. So when you take that step, that's what should happen. That's exactly what the older brother is doing. His response has nothing to do with the brother's actual return and what that means. It has to do with the fact that they were treated differently. It's a comparative evaluation of the world where what happens to me, what I receive, the rules that I follow, you need to follow. The things that I think should happen, those are the things that need to happen. They happen to me, they should happen to you. There's this evaluative way of seeing so that the father, listen to the first thing he says, son, you are always with me. All the older brother can see right now is that my younger brother who went away for a while is getting a party and I'm not. And I should get a party. I should have gotten a party a long time ago. And it's a very narrow view that says what he has is what I should have. And the father is saying, son, okay, he just literally, you never went away and we thought you were dead. Like this is celebrating him. You've always been here. But more than that, it's you've always been with me. 
I've always been able to love you. You've never had it rough. You never were sitting in a pigsty wondering where your next meal was coming from. And you think this party is some big deal? How can you not see that you have always been here and always been taken care of far better than what he was receiving there? But you can't even see it. It is similar to this, and I wanna speak to all of you that have no, like, this was my conversion story. Hey, you're that person that you didn't have the drugs. You didn't like almost kill somebody. You weren't some awful person that suddenly I came to Jesus and I had this amazing story. You just grew up in the church. And those people are often made to feel, not intentionally I don't think, but kind of guilty. And like somehow your faith isn't as much as mine because I had some major massive experience that brought me to Jesus. But I have always been with them. Let me ask you about your own kids. Would you rather your child always know your love, always be a part of your life, have as much time with them as you can have, or would you prefer that they go away for a number of years, you don't even know if they're alive, but when they come back, you get to party? Which one do you want? But when we look at the world as you have to receive what I receive, these are the rules that are here and you're not following them, therefore, it, it blinds you. It, my, um, you'll all recognize this because if you have kids, you've seen this happen. I have one child who loves dinosaurs. I have one child who loves pirates, but when he makes his pirates, he likes to use Lego figures and like they're just blocks. Like the kid has three or four actual pirate ships and real pirates, but instead he takes these big block Legos and he just puts them together and makes pirates out of them. Dinosaur loving, pirate loving, got my block of Legos. My younger son who loves dinosaurs comes up and sees his brother with a particular red Lego. And he just starts crying and screaming and we're downstairs going, what is going on? And we get up there, what's wrong? What'd you do to your brother? And he says, he wants my red Lego. Well, Killian, why do you want the red Lego? I need his red Lego. But you have all your dinosaurs. Why don't you play with them? No, I need the red Lego. There's 14 red Legos right there. Why can't you grab those red Legos? I need Bubba's red Lego, but I need my Lego. This is my Lego. I'm playing pirates. But you have pirate ships all around you. Why don't you play pirates with your pirate ships? Because I need this. That's what we look like. That's what the older brother is doing. Because of all of the rules and the comparisons and the evaluations, I can't see anything but the fact that he is getting a party and I am not. This is how This is Henry Nouwen. Um, he, is a, he was a Catholic, um, a, a guy who just profound when it comes to understanding human nature. When I listen carefully to the words with which the elder son attacks his father, and, and I mean, you heard those words. He is going after his father. Self-righteous, 
self-pitying, jealous words, I hear a deeper complaint. Because here's the thing, as an older brother at times, it's not what I want. I don't want to be the person that's actually missing out on everything because I'm so focused on the fact that you broke the rules. There's something deeper. It is the complaint that comes from a heart that feels it never received what it was due. It's the complaint expressed in countless subtle and not so subtle ways, forming a bedrock of human resentment. It is the complaint that cries out, I tried so hard, worked so long, did so much, and still I have not received what others get so easily. And you feel that? Why do people not thank me, not invite me, not play with me, not honor me, while they pay so much attention to those who take life so easily and so casually? That's the older brother. All he can see is that the younger brother is getting something that he's not when he deserves it. But he's missing out on so many other things because this is very real. I mean, this feeling of like, I've worked so hard and you don't even notice it. It's very real, but it also develops this wall. It starts bringing this resentment into us, which is the second step. It starts with the rules and the evaluations and the comparisons, and it leads to resentment. Because think about it. Who lives up to your rules? You. Anybody else? Nobody lives up to our rules, especially not all the time. If you are evaluating people based on your rules and the way you see things and the way you do things, you are always going to be let down. They're never going to live up to your expectations, especially if you're that firstborn where the expectations were set so dang high in the first place. That's how you see everything. That's how I end up seeing things a lot. And so nobody meets them. And so over and over again, what happens? You are let down. You are let down. You are let down. You are let down. And you get more and more resentful. And there's a wall building up and a defensiveness in you that builds up. And that's what we see in the older brother. And then you get his response because it goes to the next level after that. He says this of his brother. He has squandered your property with prostitutes. Now here's the thing. Number one, we don't know what he did with the money. And neither does the older brother. And the story doesn't actually give us even an indication that it was necessarily immoral. Just that he wasted his money. He could have wasted it on good things. I mean, he could have been out like trying to find the best smoothie out there and just blew his money on it. We don't know. But here's what happens with our resentfulness. We begin to oversimplify other people and their morality so that we can accuse them of what's going on. We begin to go, you didn't do this, that's what this means. How dare you? And we start assuming motivations. We assume what they meant by what they did. We even assume that somehow they knew this would have hurt, how dare they? And we start doing exactly what that older brother did. Well, that's what your son did. 
There's a second assumption that he's making, and it's what the father has to say to him. All that I have is yours. Because here's another assumption that the older brother has made. The inheritance. Hey, two brothers, two-thirds goes to the older brother, one-third goes to the younger brother. The younger brother goes out and squanders it all, and he comes back, so what's left? Only the inheritance of the older brother, but you've now accepted him back in. What does that mean? Come on, older siblings. I get less. You're going to take it away from me. You're going to give him now one-third of my two-thirds because you've invited him back in. That's an assumption that is made, which, by the way, is a reasonable assumption. I mean, you invited him back in. You're throwing, you killed the fattened calf. You're throwing a party for him. Of course, you're going to give him money. But it is an assumption, and he has to correct it. All I have is yours. I'm inviting him back as my son, but I'm not giving him your inheritance. Stop making the assumptions about what other people are doing and feeling. Likely, he even thinks that his younger brother just kind of wandered back up and went, well, dad, I spent all my money. Don't got nothing left, so I'm back here. And the dad went, all right, let's party. What did the younger brother go through? A whole lot of agony and pain. The younger brother did come to himself. He did finally go, what have I done? And he wanted to come back and just be a slave. He wanted to come back and not even be a son of his father. But that's not what the older brother assumes. Because the older brother is so hardened, resentful, and it's very, very simplistic. It's got to be this way. Because that's what I would do if I were making your actions. Because this is what I think of you, so I'm going to think your actions were this. That's what ends up happening. And it's very, very simplistic. Um, we, this spring break, we, we, kinda, we just stayed here, but we did a few vacation things. And one of the things we did is we went to Grapevine Mall, and we went to the uh, Rainforest Cafe, bringing our young kids, thinking that'd be fun. And, and then we went to Legoland. And when we got to Rainforest Cafe, we got there at like 1.30, thinking, okay, we're past the lunch rush. There's always a lunch rush at Rainforest Cafe, like from 11 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And, and we had an hour wait. And so we're just wandering around. We're looking at all the cool stuff. And at some point, I said, we should go check on Legoland. Because number one, if it's too busy, I just I don't want to go. So I'm going to take the kids, and we'll just walk over to Legoland, and we'll check it out. Now, have you been to Grapevine Mall? It's a one-story mall, and so it's really, really big. Like, it just, it is sprawling. But we walk out of Rainforest Cafe, and you look up, and there's a sign that says Legoland this way. So we start going. And we're walking. And we're walking. And at some point, my daughter goes, Daddy, are we going the right way? The sign said, go this way. So we keep, there's another sign, see, honey, we're in the right way. We're following the rules. And the sign says, go that way. So we go that way. And that way. And longer and longer. Daddy, are you sure? Honey, the rules say this way. And then we turn again and we walk and we're walking back. And we're just, I mean, it went on forever. I think we walked like a half mile through the mall. And finally, it's like, oh, there it is. We found Legoland. We get up to Legoland. We're looking at everything. And um, okay, so we can sign up. We can do this. Let's go tell your mom. I turn to walk back. And you can look through Forever 21, and there's the Rainforest Cafe right there. 
the rules let me down. <laughs> I mean, I could not believe. Like, why did they even have this sign? Here's my point. The rules are good. Okay? So don't freak out, all you firstborns. Rules are good. But they are not everything. It's not that simple. We don't get to assign to people their motivations. It's not so black and white. Sometimes all the arrows are pointing in a certain way because that's who we are, and we start thinking that's them. But if we just look and we go, oh, wait, uh -huh, there's another way to go. <laughs> there's a whole other sort of thing. It actually is something very different than what I thought it was. If I just walk right through this store, I am there. But so often it's like, no, 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 no. The arrow says this. And so we go from, I'm evaluating this comparative thing with everybody. You gotta be like me, you gotta follow my rules, you gotta do what I say, and you're not, oh, oh, you let me down again. I'm starting to feel hardened and resentful, and now I'm just, this is what you mean. I'm assuming motivation for you. And ultimately, it leads to the father having to say to his older brother, he was gone. We thought he was dead, and he's back. How can we not celebrate this? Because here's the thing, older brothers lose joy. They lose the ability to celebrate. They lose the ability at times to celebrate with other people because they're thinking about what they should have gotten. And not even, it's not even selfish, honestly. It's not that they're going, I'm so much better necessarily. It's just this kind of equative way of seeing things that like it's gotta be equal or it's not right. Life isn't equal, ever. But it, all it does is it robs us. It doesn't hurt anybody else. It robs us. One last thing from Henry Allen. Actually, no. I'm going to give two things. Um, one from Wolf and one from Nowen. This is Wolf. Um, obsession with the rules, not bad rules, but salutary rules, encourages self-righteousness and the demonization of others. It's a form of legalism. And it causes us to look at other people and attribute motivations to them and look down on them. To make the rules stick... One must reduce moral ambiguity and the complexity of social agents and their interaction. We have to reduce things to this one way. This is what it's got to be. Even though there's a whole other direction staring you in the face that you often don't see until you get through it. I mean, I know this has happened to me. I have gotten ticked by, at somebody, hurt by them, and then had a big old conversation and realized I looked at the situation very wrong. But I was going, no, no, this, I can't believe them. How dare they would do this. Not only does that rob me, but it robs us, this other person, of the opportunity of seeing how an action could hurt somebody. Instead of me going to a person and going, you know what you did? Like, this is, this is the way it felt to me. I, I don't think you meant that, but maybe you did. We didn't even get to have that conversation. I'm so ticked and hurt and angry at them. All right, here's my last one from now. 
I know from my own life how diligently I've tried to be good, acceptable, likable, and a worthy example for others. I think that just describes to a T, older brothers. I've tried to be good. I've tried to be acceptable and likable and a worthy example. There was always the conscious effort to avoid the pitfalls of sin and the constant fear of giving into temptation. But with all of that, there came a seriousness, a moralistic intensity, and even a touch of fanaticism that made it increasingly difficult to feel at home in my father's house. I became, and just see if this has ever described you or maybe does now, I became less free, less spontaneous, less playful, and others came to see me more and more as somewhat of a heavy person. That's the end of that bridge that starts over here with all of the comparisons and the rules and the expectations that leads to that resentment and bitterness that ultimately says, I just don't have the same joy as others do. I don't get to feel what they feel. I'm over here and I'm, I'm rejected, but they're wrong. Anybody wanna be there? Self-righteousness, legalism, all of it pushes us that direction. I have to stop because I'm way over time. I saw a video of a bill of a bridge, um, the nine-span bridge in Indiana. Um, it was demolished in like 2009, and it had become uh, weak, and they had to tear it down, and they, they built a new one. Um, what was fascinating is the way in which the bridge was demolished. If you think of a building, and, and like you have, you just, you set all this thing, and boom, and it kind of all comes down, and there's the smoke, and, um, but with this bridge, they didn't just blow it all up. They took pieces, and they began removing supports until this would crumble, and then they'd remove that, and then they would crumble another piece, and they would crumble another section of it. They kept taking it down by removing the supports that were holding it up one section at a time as it would come down. I, I don't, I'm not up here to tell you if you struggle with this bridge, that you can just go, oh, well now that I know that it's wrong, I'll stop doing it all. I'm not an idiot. I mean, it's not how we work. I would argue that little by little, we can start dismantling it piece by piece by recognizing, number one, that it's in us, that we are doing this, that we, like the older brother, keep evaluating everybody, and we think about what we deserve and what they deserve based on our rules and our way of viewing life. We can see the resentment. We, can, we already feel the lack of joy at times. But we can see a God who says to the older brother, I am always with you. I want to give you value and joy and I want you to start looking at me and not at everybody else. I want you to start seeing me as where you are getting value from, where you are finding meaning. And I know things are unfair at times, but what can you see in that that is different than just it's unfair? What can you see in somebody's comment other than, well, they're just mean? Or how dare they do that? 
What else can we see in those comments? What else can we see in that person? Because we know that person isn't that simple. That person's not just a jerk. They may be wrong. They may be inconsiderate or insensitive. But they need to see that, not be attacked for it. And how can we see it in ourselves? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, whatever I have said today that is not right, will you fix? Whatever I've said today that may be of benefit to anybody, by your spirit, would you change us? Lord, we all want to know joy in you. We all, deep down, want to be able to celebrate the abundant life. We want to be able to celebrate other people, but we want to be celebrated. Not in some selfish, egotistical way, but, but we want to be celebrated. Lord, give us a sensitivity to celebrate others, especially the older brothers. Give us a sensitivity to recognize where we are causing pain and be able to alleviate that. Lord, give us strength, give us love in ways we could never do on our own. In Christ's name, amen.